Hallelujah. Thank you. Well, today's lesson that I'm going to come before you, well, let me actually start off by praying. Father, we thank you for your sweet spirit in this place. We thank you, Father, that you have called us to a great work, Father. But, Father, we open up our hearts and our minds and our spirit, Father, and we say, here we are, Father. We give our lives to you. We submit our bodies, Lord God, and our lives as a living sacrifice, Father. Holy and acceptable unto you, Father, which is our reasonable service. And we thank you for all that you are doing with us and through us and for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Today's lesson is called Edification, Purging, and Mortification. Edification, Purging, and Mortification. Amen. So, today we are going to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit begins to do a great work within us and on the inside of us. We're going to see how purging and mortification fits into the actual edification process when you are speaking in tongues. The Bible says that when we speak in tongues, that it what? It builds us up and it edifies us. But we need to know what the edification process actually looks like. Because a lot of times we read things and it says that, you know, the Holy Spirit does this. It edifies us, but we don't take the time to see what is actually edification. What's happening inside of me when edification is actually doing what it's supposed to do. Amen. Amen. So every believer who believes that praying in tongues edifies them and builds them up don't have the understanding behind, like I said, edification. And a lot of times things don't work or manifest how they're supposed to. It's because we don't have the understanding behind it. Therefore, we can't even apply it. We have the knowledge of a thing, meaning that we got the information, but we don't have the understanding. So we need to, like the Bible said, add, when we get knowledge, we need to add understanding to that in order to what? To apply it to our life, which is wisdom. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, most people believe that the actual process of edification is this some um, mystical mystery thing that when you're praying in tongues and you and, and, and the edification process to begins and then all of a sudden that you know you you running into the enemy's camp and you got a sword and you taking back everything that the devil said belongs to you and you just you 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 you're going in and you and you're fervent when you're doing it but that's not what edification is that's not what edification is. Now, hear me when I say this. At the same time that the Holy Spirit is building you up in the spirit to understand the revelation behind God's word and also downloading what the plans of God for your life, he is also strengthening your born again spirit with the power to mortify or put to death 
the deeds of the flesh. Amen? I'm going to say that again. At the same time, because a lot of times our mind gets stuck on the word. We, it's, been, it's happened before. At the same time that the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we're speaking in tongues and the edification process begins, the same time that he's building you up, giving you the knowledge, the revelation behind the kingdom of God and the word, also downloading into you the plans and purposes for what? Your life. At the same time, everybody say, at the same time. At the same time, the Spirit is giving you the power inside of your born-again spirit to give you the power to mortify or to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Amen? Amen. Now, it's not, not what Romans 8 and 13 said. As I told you, I'm not going to tell you nothing unless I bring it to the word. I'm not even going to interpret a dream without bringing you to the word. So let's read the word. Eight, Romans 8 and 13. And it says, for if you live according to the what? You will do what? Let's read that part again. If you live according to the what? You will what? But if by what? No, I didn't say that. I said what your mama said. It's what your daddy said, what your best friend said, what your employer said. Did you say that? Your own willpower? Did you say that? The strength that you got in you? Your callings? Your gifting? How much money you got? Oh, okay. What did it say then? By the Spirit. You will do what? The deeds you will do what? You will live. Amen. So that is why as leaders, we can tell who's been praying. We can tell who's been studying. We can tell who's been taking their spiritual life seriously. Because the more time you spend in his presence, time with your father, Time in the secret place, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible for you to walk in the same ratchet thoughts. Impossible. It's impossible for you to walk in the same unforgiving, bound up heart. It's impossible for you to have the same contentious spirit. It's impossible. For you to have the same complaints, it's impossible to be in his presence and not come out changed. It's impossible. Amen. Now, let's take you through the purging process. Because the name of the lesson is edification, purging, and mortification. It's all inclusive. It's one process. They're not different. They're not separated. It's all together. It's one. Amen? Amen. So when we talk about edification, we have to talk about purging. Let's go to John 15 and 2. And it says, let's read it together. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit 
so they will produce even more. What is he saying? Whether we like it or not, if it's a branch that's not producing zero fruit, what did he say he'll do? He'll cut it off. Then he turns around and says, even if you are producing fruit, he's still going to prune you. Because why? He need more fruit to come forward. And that's how pruning works. You cut, back, you cut the dead from all around and it wasn't producing any leaves, not producing any fruit. You cut all those dead parts off of the tree and then you turn around and prune and cut the ones that was producing so more can come forward. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, be aware as I'm right now sounding this alarm. When you're praying in tongues and the edification process is taking place, you're going to provoke an internal war within yourself. When you are praying in tongues and the edification process begins to take place, you will provoke an internal war when you begin to consistently pray in tongues. Why? Because impurities will begin to surface that you don't want to get rid of. That you're having a hard time getting rid of. Places where it feels uncomfortable for you to get rid of. Places where you didn't even think you needed to work on to get rid of. Amen? Amen. So the Father will work with you. He working with you. Co-laboring. He not just co-laboring with prosperity. <laughs> he co-laboring with you to do what? To help you purge the impurities in your life. So what? You can fulfill your divine call in your life. Each one of us in here got a divine call on our life. Individually and collectively as the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. So in the purging process during edification, the Holy Spirit begins to pull the dead limbs that serve as what? A ceiling to our life. It's preventing us from going higher. So what is he doing? He begins to purge us in order so that we can go higher. Guess what? Because the Father, the Father wants you to win more than you want to win. And only he knows what prevents you from moving to the place where he said that you should be in the beginning. Only he knows that. So that's why we have to submit to the spirit. Amen? Amen. So every time Abba wants to use us, every time, every time Abba wants to use us, what the devil does, he begins to walk out on those limbs that are dead and not alive in God. He uses those dead places that are in your life that you refuse to change, and he begins to use those dead places. And he tries to do what? Stop the move of God in our lives through our finances, through our wrong attitudes, through our unforgiving hearts. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to cut off those dead limbs, the devil will keep us sitting with dead branches with no life in it. That will eventually do what? Die with no reservation, 
for fruit to grow or to remain. Because remember, he said not only does he want the fruit to grow, but he wants the fruit to remain. Amen? So, we already know what the devil wants to do, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And part of that kill, steal, and destroy is also the fruit that produces in our life. Amen? So, the purging process is not. It's not always fun. It's not fun at all. It's not fun at all, but guess what? It's necessary. It's necessary. We can choose to have all of our shortcomings and our faults be pruned away right now or later when our works are tried by fire on the day of judgment at the seat of Christ. Amen? So either we get it right here. <laughs> like I say, it's going to happen. <laughs> like the Bible says, either you let the word be a mirror to your life right now or it's going to speak against you once it's your time to go. So you might as well do it now. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Because some people are not convinced. It says, anyone who builds on that foundation, meaning Christ, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the day, the, on the Dutch judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer a great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what is he saying? Well, you're still going to go to heaven, he's saying, <laughs> but you will lose your reward when you get there. Because the fire going to show if the fruit remains. And so we don't want to just skim by, just like he said, barely escaping the fire. We barely got there like, whew, I made it to heaven. Okay, well, why, everybody else going to start getting rewards. You made it, but you don't have no reward with you. So we not only just want to just make it to heaven, <laughs> We want our reward when we make it. The reason why there is a reward system even here on the earth is because there's a reward system in heaven. Everything he said was made through him and by him, and without him there is nothing made. So guess what? This life is a shadow. It seemed like it's the real life only because you're a natural person living in it through this body. But this world only exists because as it is in heaven, so shall it be on earth. Everything that you see with your natural eyes in this earth is because of heaven. If you see it right here, is a depiction and a shadow of something that's in heaven because in heaven, in the spirit realm, that's where it's real. Amen? 
You know what comes to mind during that? When Jesus' disciples came running, Master, your mother and your brother is outside and your sister. And he said, who is my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? He said, those that do the will of my father. What was he telling them? You looking at a shadow. The only reason why there's a family here is because there's a family spiritually. So he was saying, look, my real family <laughs> is those who do the will of the father. You telling me about my natural family, but I'm telling you, those that belong to me in Christ, that's my real family. Amen? Amen. So, the good news here is that we are not left to ourselves. Because you know what, Chris? It'll never get done. I know it will never get done by me. <laughs> so, the Spirit has to help us. <laughs> the only reason why... <laughs> We submit is so that the spirit can help. He's the helper. He's the advocate. He's the comforter. So let him do his work. <laughs> so according to Romans 8 and, 30, 8 and 13, now we just read that the Father has given us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to help purge us of anything that could rob us of the reward. That is how bad he wants us to get it. He's going to send you the Holy Spirit to help you to get your reward. He wants you to get the reward more than you want the reward. Amen? Amen? Now, the enemy's most powerful weapon is deception. That's his most powerful weapon because all of that is just is, is entangled up into lies. And the Bible says he was a liar from the beginning. And if he was a liar from the beginning, he's still a liar. So that's the most powerful weapon he has is deception for the people of God. Amen? And so because his weapon is deception and his goal is to steal our reward by keeping us in the dark, what the Father has called us not only to do, but the fruit that we are to produce. The devil knows that when it's all said and done, the only thing that you will be rewarded for is how much of God's personal plan for your life you have managed to fulfill. He's not rewarding you for how many cars you purchased. Come on, we just, we, we got to get a perception here. We got to get a focus. He's not rewarding us for how many times, you know, we decided that, you know, we were, we were how long we stayed, for instance, at an organization and we retired from that organization with a pension. He not, we're not getting a reward for that. The only thing we're getting a reward for is how much of the plan of God actually, you actually did while you were here on the earth. So we got to get a focus. Amen? Amen. So now we're going to kind of go into what the spirit does when, not only through the edification process, but what he does when it comes to your conscious mind, okay? So we have to um, establish, so what we've established so far that it's impossible to be charged up and edified in the spirit 
without also undergoing a purging process in your inner man, okay? It's impossible to rise upward in God without cutting off the things that are holding you down, and that's true naturally. If you are carrying around, a, we in a race together, and in the race, you're carrying two bricks, and I'm free when we're racing. It don't matter how fast you are as a race, as somebody who's in a race, I'm gonna beat you each and every time. Why? Because you're carrying weights. You're carrying weights. And so those weights are what? Preventing you from finishing the cross line in the time that you're supposed to finish. Now they may have said you got five, my five minutes to do a mile and you got these bricks and weights on you. How are you gonna get there? How in the world are you going to get there with bricks on you? How are you going to get there without, and that's why I say on the prayer call a lot of time, I tell you guys to walk light. Walk light. You can't be sensitive to the spirit and have weights on you. That don't, they don't work at the same time. You have to release that thing so that God can do a work in you. Amen? Amen. Now. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does as, as you keep on praying in tongues is that he begins to wake up your conscious mind. Now, your conscious mind where you do all of your problem solving, okay, did you use your conscious mind probably the most out of everything when you're doing just day-to-day -day things. So the Spirit begins to wake up your conscious mind. And it should become more difficult and more difficult to do what? The fleshly and carnal stuff that you used to do. It should become more and more and more and more difficult to do that stuff. Because the spirit, as you're praying, it's not also just edifying you and building you up and giving you the mysteries concerning God and giving you the plan concerning God. It is also waking you up so that you will feel uncomfortable doing the same things you used to do year after year. Amen? Amen. For instance, <laughs> let's just say somebody makes a cutting remark at you. Right? And you're like, okay, they made a cutting remark at me. I'm growing in God. And you walk away and you say, you know what? God bless you, brother. Right? Because you know, that's a we us. God bless you, brother. Amen. But guess what? Five or 10 years ago, you would have slapped somebody. Yes. Amen. <laughs> you would have. You would have had a few choice words for them and you would have slapped somebody. But by the Spirit, Okay, you begin to walk what in the new nature that God has given you. Amen. I'm not telling you something that's easy. I'm telling you something that you got to work on constantly. Amen. 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 So when the Holy Spirit wakes up your conscience to something that you are doing wrong or something that you even said wrong that came out of your mouth that you should not have even said, that means the Holy Spirit is also there with the power to put that thing to death. So he's not only waking your conscious mind up and said, brother, you shouldn't have said that, but he gives you the power to make sure that the next time it happens, because if you don't pass the test, it's coming again. He gives you the power to pass the test. <laughs> 
He gives, he also, he is crazy. You know how you'll be in uh, a university at a school or high school or whatever, and you have to study it in order to take the test, and then if you fail the test, then you can't take the test over again. But that's not how it is in God. If you fail the test, that test coming back around again. <laughs> And not only is it coming back around again, but he's trying to see, he's trying to give you not only like he gives you the answers to the test too. It's not like he said, he's not like a natural father. He's a spiritual father. And then when he gives you the test, he also gives you the answers. So exactly. So how what else can he do? He gives you the comforter to comfort you. So when you're uncomfortable, it said, I should have said that, but then the spirit say, Don't say that. You like, okay, he's comforting you. Okay, I'm not gonna say that. He gives you the power to put it to death. Amen. Amen. So when you add, when you begin to add your faith and you begin to resist the way that you used to be, mortification takes place. And then the Holy Spirit begins to purge you or clean you. That is what we call edification, purging, and mortification all taking place inside of you at the same time. Amen? Now, we're going to go into things that are hidden in darkness. As you begin to pray in tongues in the spirit and the mysteries are beginning to be prayed out and to begin to be revealed to you through understanding meaning your conscious mind the holy spirit also while doing this he, he begins to do what cast a bright light on spiritual roadblocks that are hidden in darkness within the heart and that means all your sins, all your faults, all your shortcomings that keep you from producing what? A hundredfold harvest in God's plan. That is what your brother Jesus was talking about actually in Mark 4 and 20 through 22. Let us read that. Mark 4, 20 and 22. Now this is after, this is, let me tell you this, this is after describing this is after Jesus describes the different types of bad ground in people's heart. He says this right afterwards. He said, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. And every secret, every secret, he said, will be brought to the light. So... Our brother Jesus calls our hearts good ground, he said. Our hearts are good ground, and it's also soil. So, if I receive the word of God, whether it's a Rima word or a Logos word, whether God directly is speaking it to me and I hear it, or I read the word, amen, 
and the mysteries of his personal plan for my life and then bring forth fruit of that word, a 30, a 60, a hundredfold fruit, the word must fall on good ground to produce a harvest. Now, this is how it works. The seed is the word, right? But the seed is not only just the word. And that's a lot of times what we miss in the scripture. The seed is not just the word. The word is also a light. The word is a seed, but the word is also a light. Now, the seed is the one that produces the harvest. Amen? But the light is the thing that produces the good ground. The seed produces the harvest, which is the word. But the light, which is also the word, it produces the good ground. So, Jesus asked a question, would it seem like a really awkward riddle to solve right after he begins to talk about the heart? It's like, why would, why would Jesus do that? Like, he throws us off like, okay, God, you were just talking about the heart, and then you turn around and talk about a light and being hid and stuff like it's a riddle, which it is. <laughs> and so right after talking about the soil of our heart, how we receive the word, <laughs> he says, is a candle lit? to be hidden under a bushel or under a bed? The answer is no. <laughs> Can a light, a lit candle be brought into a dark room without shining its light in that which is hidden in darkness? Absolutely not. If this room was completely dark and we brought in a flashlight in the darkness and whatever we shine the flashlight on, guess what? Whatever we're shining on, it's going to be revealed. It's impossible to, to get a flashlight in darkness and shine it on an object and that object not be revealed of what it is. Amen? Amen. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate your spirit by the word of God, it is like walking into a dark room with a lit candle or a flashlight. Every obstacle in the room that is hidden in darkness will be revealed by the light. The things will be uncovered in darkness that are preventing you from what? A hundredfold return. God wants a hundredfold return off of your life, but that's to the degree that you let the light shine. That's why he said, let your light shine. Amen? Amen. Now, for those that don't believe me still, I'm going to give you some more evidence. The Bible says that the candle of your spirit was lit when you were born again. Proverbs 20 and 27. Let's read it together. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So you cannot pray in tongues without causing that lit candle 
to burn brighter and brighter. That is when the internal war begins. Why? Because the flesh doesn't like its deeds exposed to the light. The flesh is just like, you remember when you used, back in the day, I'm gonna say back in the day, you'll see why, back in the day. <laughs> you remember when you used to go over somebody's house and you turn the lights on and just the roaches, they just scattered? Everywhere, just the roaches, they just scattered. They're like, ooh, light, and they just start scattering, right? <laughs> Amen? Amen, so guess what? The flesh is just like roaches. It's just like cockroaches. They come out when you turn the lights on and then they scurry for cover. Why? Because they love the cover of darkness. So it is with your flesh. I guarantee you, I, I gotta say it Southern-like, I guarantee you, guarantee you your flesh isn't going to want to get every get rid of everything that the spirit wants to get rid of your flesh is not going to want to do it it's not going to want to give up the hold on you amen but by the spirit of god we got to walk in a new nature amen amen now let's flip over to the Inward transformation before there's an outward change. So let's deal with why people give up praying in tongues after they prayed for days, after they prayed for weeks, after they prayed for months, when they don't see change happen, because this is often. They're going real hard, praying, 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 praying. And they don't see nothing. Praying, 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 praying. Into shataya bo bo shataya ro bo shataba ba bo shata. Eka shataya ro bo shata. They going in. Then they give up because they don't see no change. Why does that happen? I'll tell you why. Let's say as Christians we found the Holy Grail, okay? And we have the Spirit praying for us because that's the Holy Grail right there. He says even when we don't know what to pray for. The spirit knows what to pray for. So we found the Holy Grail, right? All right, so since we say we found the Holy Grail and we have the spirit praying for us, advocating for us, building us up in the spirit, and we're in our prayer closet every day from 5 a.m. to 12 p.m., praying heaven down to earth. Everything's going to be different after this prayer. I'm fasting. I'm going to do this. I'm going to release the blessings, release the inheritance. I'm going to get what belongs to me. Amen? Amen? That's what we're doing. Now, many believers make this mistake. They pray in tongues, and they begin to look for their outward circumstances to change suddenly but they miss where the supernatural transformation is actually taking place first it's taking place in your spirit first not in your outward circumstances amen they look for the spectacular all around them and they miss the changing resurrection power inside of them. 
They miss the miracle working power of God that's transforming their life from the inside out. Amen? And that's why they give up. Because they don't see anything changing. But the change is in here first. Amen? Amen. So remember, praying in tongues is designed. Isn't the father not a master builder? Praying in tongues is designed, meaning he made every prayer to be answered. He made every prayer to be answered. But it doesn't get answered to us because we lean on our own understanding. And just like Naaman, oh, surely I thought God was going to do this. Surely. I thought God was going to rain down this on me. He's like, look, I'm doing the work in you first. Don't miss the miracle inside of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, what I will say is this. This is my disclaimer. Now, it doesn't mean that when you're praying in tongues that you won't begin to see noticeable results. Amen? Because the word will produce what is said it's going to do. Amen. So we don't want to, I'm not saying that you won't begin to notice results after you start praying and doing all of these things and changing your external circumstances. But this is what I'm saying. Where your faith is at the moment and as these things begin to manifest, where did it come from? If it's manifesting, that means it came from somewhere. It didn't just manifest on its own. It mean it came from somewhere. That manifestation came from somewhere. It produced in the spirit as you mixed your faith with the edification, the purging, and the mortification. And then guess what happens? It unlocks in the spirit. The spirit realm bows to you as a daughter and a son of God. Faith does, just like it says, begins to produce a title deed in the spirit that says it belongs to you. And then guess what? Satan can't do nothing about that because your faith is made complete. Amen? Amen. So let's back up what I said, Romans 10 and 17. And it says, so faith comes from hearing what is told and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message concerning Christ. So as the insight into the word begins to increase because it said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as the insight into the word begins to increase in your life and your faith begins to rise, so does the purging process that transforms a person from the inside out. Then according to God's divine order, outward circumstances begin to line up with the changes that have already occurred on the inside of you. Amen? Then according to God's divine order, That's where true change begins to take place. You have to line up yourself, your inner man, with the word of God 
before the blessings show up naturally. We waiting on the blessings to show up naturally, but don't have nothing in our soul to produce it. Let it work in you first. Amen? Amen. Now, we'll go into the fact that God's word is the standard. God's word is the standard. Jesus told us, as we read 15, John 15 and 2, he says that as a branch is connected to the true vine, we will be purged in order to bear more fruit. We just read that, right? Amen. Now, let's read the next verse that he says, and that's John 15 and 3. He said, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. So in other words, it is the word of God that sets the standard for our purging. Without the word, where would we obtain the information that we need to discern between good and evil? Where would we even get the information to discern a truth from a lie? There is only one foundation of truth that exists in the whole entire universe, and that is the word of God. Other religions and philosophers have claimed to have the truth and to study the truth, Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, Socrates, Plato, and other Greek mythologies, but only the word can be trusted as the standard for truth because it did not come from the world. The word came from God himself. So, for instance, Pastor Kirby um, gave me a dream that he had. And kind of summed the dream up because I know I won't get every part of so many <laughs> dreams he shares with me. Thank God. <laughs> I won't get all the details correct, but I'll give you a summation. He gave me a dream that was it, um, it's the game called, I think it's like racquetball when you play within the four walls. Okay, so he had a dream he was playing racquetball on one side, and then the Kardashians, Kim and which the other one? Was it Chloe? Kim and Chloe was playing on the other side of this racquetball. And then there was a wall that separated the two of them, like it usually is in racquetball, but at the top was like this opening where you could actually toss the ball over and catch it and then toss the ball over on the other side. But then he began to tell me like during that process, like they began to kiss and he was like, they began to do some weird stuff he said and um, pretty much he woke up from the dream. He was like, what was that all about? And so as he was talking, the spirit began to reveal to me the understanding behind that dream. And I told Pastor Gerby, I said, see him as though, okay, because they're, they're in the dream to symbolize wealth. And the ball being thrown back and forward, that's the transfer of information. And I said, so it seems as though you have been studying um, about wealth. I told him, I said, but it seems as though God is telling you that not everything that you read about wealth leads to a promise. 
And so I told him to make sure that as he's studying wealth, that he gets all of his information from the word concerning wealth because everything he reads concerning wealth in the Bible leads to a promise. Everything that you read about wealth that is not in the Bible is good information, but it's not guaranteed to be led and leading you to a promise in God. Amen? Amen. So that's what I'm saying when I say the word is the standard. It's the truth. The word is not like this novel in which we read and then there's no promise behind it. Everything that we read in the Bible is a testimony of somebody who encountered the Father and his promises came true. Amen? So let's go to John 1, 1 through 3 to confirm what I said. And it says, in the beginning, before all time, was the Word, meeting Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. He was continually existing in the beginning. Co-eternally with God, all things were made and came into existence through him and without him. Not even one thing was made that has come into being. The word is the standard for your life. It's going to be the one that produces whatever that you're trying to get to, to produce in your life. The word is the answer for it. And if you're still not convinced, Proverbs 8, 22 through, through 31 it gives us a better picture about wisdom as she talks about herself. And wisdom says this about herself. She says, the Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. So let me stop right there. Why would anyone else, why would you take anybody else's word over the word of God when the word says that, and wisdom said that it was, she was created before anything else was created. She said, I was appointed in ages past, at the very first, before the earth even began, before people was even on the earth, wisdom said, I was there. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills, wisdom says, I was born. Before he had made the earth and the fields and the first handfuls of soil, I was there. When he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the ocean, she said, I was there. When he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth, I was there. When he set the limits on the sea, so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. I was there. And when he marked off the earth's foundation, she said, I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world that he created. How I rejoice with the what? It was his plan all along to have a family. It was his plan all along 
to have a family. That is what we are. We are a family of believers in God. It was part of his plan in the beginning. So one of the most deceptive things that you could ever get into regarding change is seeking religious or worldly answers to the issues that you have in your life, and you begin to apply that to your life. That's one of the most deceptive things that you can do when wisdom say, I was there first. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus spelled this out for us in John 15 and 3. He says, now you are clean through the word, which we just read, which I have spoken unto you. Nothing else can produce that type of internal heart change and cleanliness but the word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I have found that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit leading in our lives is to lead us out. Somebody say out. out. Somebody say out. out. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us out of those leftover patterns of the flesh that try to dominate us. Those leftover things in our flesh, well, you know what they do? They sabotage everything that Abba is attempting to do in your life for good and for the expected end. In Mark 9 and 23, Jesus said that all things are possible to him who believes. Therefore, the only thing that stands between us and any kind of miracle is the fleshly pattern or the system of thoughts that have captivated us in the realm of our soul and the realm of our mind. That is the only thing standing between your miracle. So in Mark 9 and 23, Jesus said, no, I already said that. So the unscriptural patterns, like I said, is something faith cannot give substance to. The unscriptural patterns that are in your soul, I'm going to say it again, is something that faith cannot give substance to. It is hope that is programmed in you wrong. Hope that is gone amiss. So we must yield to the Holy Spirit leadership when he begins to root out the destructive patterns in ourselves. We will just remain the same in the same invisible prison. Some of us are in natural prisons. Prisoners are in natural prisons. But some of us are no different than people that are locked up in prison. Because we are literally locked up in, in the prison of our minds, we locked up in the prison of our souls, and we won't allow God in. We won't allow God to work in our hearts. We won't, God, won't allow God to work as a miracle. Amen? Amen. So, it is no accident that right after Paul talks about mortifying the deeds of the flesh in Romans 8 and 13 that we read, 
he says this right after this, right after this, verse 14. He was talking about mortifying the deeds of the flesh in verse 13. Verse 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, he said that right after he said he talked about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. So verse 13 and verse 14 are what we call one continuous thought. One continuous thought. There is no walking in the spirit as a son and daughter of God if you're not mortifying the deeds of the flesh. They go together. Amen. And in verse, let's see, 14, the term son of God refers to the mature believer who has been nurtured by the Holy Spirit to the point that he can now walk by his new nature than by the dictates of what the flesh told him or her to do. Remember, the Bible says you don't owe the flesh nothing. Nothing. I don't owe you nothing. So when the flesh tells you don't love, you tell it back. I don't owe you nothing. The word says to love. I owe you nothing. I don't even have to listen to you. You a liar. And you've been a liar from the beginning. I walk in the new nature of what God said to do. And the Bible says that love conquers all things. Amen? Amen. So, therefore, Paul is describing in verse 14 a state. Amen, then. <laughs> Paul is describing in verse 14 a state of spiritual maturity where carnal patterns and systems of thoughts no longer dominate you because you are now walking after your new nature instead of according to the flesh. So, for instance, you may say, I want Abba to lead me, lead me in this job promotion. Amen? Everybody love a job promotion. I, I know when I was working for them, I'm like, I'm not doing all this work for nothing. I need a promotion. I need a raise. I need something. <laughs> but the first order of business when we talk about promotion is for the Father to lead you out first out of anything that keeps you in a perpetual cycle of defeat that would disqualify you for the promotion before you even get there. He gonna work on you, amen? He gonna work on you first. You're not gonna get there and then he say, I'm gonna work on you now. You've been mean to all the employees. You haven't did not one thing that your supervisor says to do, but you up for promotion. He's not, he don't, naturally, that don't work like that naturally. Less known spiritually, amen? <laughs> amen, so the first order of business <laughs> will always be to lead you out of those perpetual cycles or systems of thought that have nothing to do with him, that has all to do with that old nature. He gonna deal with you first about that then promotion comes. Amen? Amen. 
That is what Romans 8 and 13 is talking about. As many will allow, so I'm going to do a little summary of what that just said. As many as will allow their reborn human spirit to be nurtured by the Holy Spirit, they are the mature sons of God. That's what he's saying in verse 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit will lead you out of the patterns and the systems in your soul that enslaves you or leaves you in a spiritual prison. Is he not the one that sets the captives free? Amen. And we got to think, because like I said, we go into this, there's a lot of religion that has to come out of us. <laughs> we say, you know, he has set the captives free. Okay. But what does that mean for your, your, your thoughts? What does that mean for your life? What does that mean for these systems and traditions that you upheld, uphold it more than God? He's supposed to be setting you free from those things. It's not a cliche that we say. Now, the last thing that I will, um, this will be the last thing probably I mentioned before we get into the prophetic activity that I have, is that you can look at the root of the word mortify to know that it means death. To know that you're in a battle in the purging process. Paul describes this battle in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. And he says this, the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of the flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now, that's verse four. Now, it sounds like to me that, hear me out. It sounds like to me that we talk, when we talk about the armor of God, we use the armor of God to defeat the enemy. But when we talking about the weapons, he says that our weapons are not physical weapons, weapons of flesh and blood. These are weapons to defeat our flesh. These are two different things. We have the armor that helps us defeat the enemy, and then we have the weapons that are not fleshly weapons, and that's to help us to defeat our flesh. Amen? So I don't want you to associate this with the armor of God because these are two different things. These are weapons for your flesh. Amen? So Paul says that our weapons for this battle we're engaging in are not carnal. In other words, we don't wage an internal war with natural means. We don't try to find an answer for an internal war by reading natural stuff. Because it won't work like that. <laughs> Instead, our weapons are what? Mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. What does that mean? Invisible strongholds. And he talks also about fortresses when he says, when he mentions the scripture that are erected in our lives. And what these things are, these are things that actually stand as a standard in our life that are not supposed to be a standard. So 
I'm going to take you to where you can see this for yourself. Because some believers think that the word stronghold in verse 4 is talking about an invisible fortress that the devil built up and he had Donald Trump help him <laughs> build up this fortress, okay? And that this fortress is, is, is erected and, and, and built by the devil and we need to tear it down, these invisible evil fortresses that's all around us. Let's tear them down, bring them down, Lord. And he's like, that's not what the weapons are for because he's been defeated. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? These fortresses <laughs> and these thoughts are internal. They're not external. The devil ain't got nothing to do with this. The devil like, here you, there they go again, blaming me again. <laughs> Amen? Paul is referring to a battle on a personal level. How do I know that? I'm glad you asked. Y'all ask all the right answers. Come on now, you ask all the right questions, but I got the answers for you. Thank you, Lord. Because verse 5 says this. This is how I know it's a personal battle. Verse 5 says this. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen? Amen. So, let me ask you a question. Who possesses the thoughts that are brought into captivity? We do. Amen. Paul didn't change the subjects between verse 4 and 5. If you are the possessor of the thought, you are the possessor of the fortress or the stronghold that needs to do what? Come down. The strongholds that Paul is referring to are imaginations, high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. They are carnal strongholds in the realm of your soul. For example, God says to forgive. And you say, but God, whatever that after but, but God, you don't know how long. But God, you don't know what they did. He's like, was I not there? Did I not see it? <laughs> Amen? You don't think he didn't see it? You don't think he didn't see what the person said it? <laughs> but we saying, but God. Paul is telling us to bring into captivity every, he calls them disobedient thoughts. Anytime you go against what the word says to do, you have to know that's a disobedient thought. You know how we call our children disobedient? <laughs> Why are they disobedient? Because they're coming against what we said for them not to do. We say what? Don't touch the stove. Is there a but in there? Is there are we accepting a but from them? But I was hungry. But I said, don't touch the stove. Amen? <laughs> Amen? 
amen. That's, a, that's what we call disobedience. And we know that what? Disobedience can't get rewarded. I know I tell my children all the time, I don't reward disobedience. When you know what to do and you don't do it, that's disobedience. I'm not talking about something that you don't know and you did it. That's different. Then that's my job as a parent to teach you better. But when I've taught you, not even, not just giving you the information because there's part of parenting that tells a child don't do, okay? Then there's the part of parenting that in which you have to become a teacher and tell them why they shouldn't do it. So they'll have an understanding behind why you said don't do it, amen? Then after that, if you go into doing it anyways, that's what we call total disobedience. And I'm not rewarding disobedience. Now, I'm going to still do what like the word says. I'm going to still love you. And I still know that you're growing. Amen. Because that's what grace is for. But I'm still not going to reward that either. Amen. Because if I reward it, exactly, you're going to keep doing it. <laughs> you're going to keep doing it. And now... It's an issue because now there's no distinction of maturity. Amen? There's no distinction or no level that says I matured from one place to the next. That's where the reward comes in. If, you, if I tell you to be in the house at, at, by, in your 18, you by 11 p.m. and you do that, then I know, guess what? I can trust you to stay out till 1 if you want to. But you, you can't say you want to come in when you want to come in <laughs> and then turn around and be like, I want to go to this party. Mm -mm. That's not going to happen. Because you can't even come in on time at 11, <laughs> less known <laughs> after the party. Amen? Amen? Amen. So Paul is telling us to bring every disobedient thought because those thoughts what we don't understand is that those thoughts, those disobedient thoughts, become doors. And they're open doors. The devil said he only need a crack. He only need a crack in the door. They become open doors for the enemy, and he uses it to gain access to our soulish strongholds that we have that we don't cast down, like the words say, to cast down. So whether it's a stronghold of the soul or an individual or a nation, because nations can have strongholds over them too, and that's why a lot of times on a prayer call I say, be praying for the nations. Cities can have strongholds on them. Nations can have strongholds on them. People can have strongholds in them as well. You can, well, for instance, like when we were going to this one gym, and I was, um, and we would drive. We would drive through this one neighborhood to get to the gym. And I was, I told my husband, I said, "Don't go this way anymore." I said, "Because there's a stronghold in this neighborhood." I said, "It's the, it's the." I said, "I sense the spirit of hate in this neighborhood, and from hate, I sense racism coming from that." I said, "I don't want to drive through this neighborhood no more." <laughs> and of course, Apostle's like, "Can you turn off the prophetic?" <laughs> <laughs> Can you just turn the prophetic off right now? We going to the gym. I was like, well, hey. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So let's go into our prophetic activity. Amen. Now, I wanted you to get a really, really good understanding of why I did this so that our minds can shift. Okay? Okay. 
And so the first one that we're going to look at is finances. 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 So let's say that we are, we're praying in tongues, right? We're downloading the mysteries. Concerning wealth, right? Because you want Abba to bless you, okay? You're doing affirmations. I decree and I declare and I affirm in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you going in and you praying five hours a day and you reading your word, right? Amen? Amen. Everybody want that. Now, this is not first business. If you're going to pray to God about finances and wealth, this is also what he'll be talking to you about. You got to know this. Next one. He's going to be talking to you about stewardship. This is where we talk about the light comes in. He's going to be talking to you about stewardship. He's going to be talking to you about being generous. He's going to be talking to you about practicing of not robbing him of his tithes and his offering. He's going to be talking to you about your poverty mentality. He's going to be talking to you about being faithful over a little bit in order to get more. He's going to be talking to you about the not the love money or mammon because you can't serve two masters. He's going to be talking about the fact that it's more blessed than it is to, to, to give than it is to receive. And that also when you loan money to the poor, you loan money to him. He's going to be talking to you about that you don't uh, have because you don't ask. He's going to be talking to you about your motives. He's going to be talking about your heart. He's going to be talking to you about the fact that when you do get it, that's all you want to do is bless yourself. It's impossible to pray about wisdom of finances and wealth without him talking to you about that first. That has to be developed in your soul before, before your external financial situation changes. It's impossible for your external situation about your finances to change or his to be pressed down and shaken together and running over when men give unto you. That is an impossible statement if you don't have a generous heart. That's an impossible statement if you're robbing God. You got to know that. We can't continue to pray about these things and say that's the word of God and it's going to produce when it's not producing in your heart and in your soul. Amen? Let's look at, I'm not, I'm not, now things that I'm doing right now are common things that people pray to God about. Next thing is marriage. You're praying in tongues. God, send me. Send me, Father a holy woman of God. Send me a trustworthy man, Father. I decree and I declare that I shall get a woman of God, a man of God in my life. That's for me. Amen? Five hours straight, every day. Three months, four months, five months pass by, you still decreeing and you declaring. Amen? Amen? 
Amen. We got to be real here. We can't play. We, we playing games if we're not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. Amen. Amen. So I'm trying to help you. Amen. So you can't pray about that unless, let's flip it over. If he's not talking to you about this stuff, the orphan issues from your childhood that needs to be healed, that God honors the order of marriage with the husband being the head over the wife, the need for preparation before you even get married, the need to pray and to ask the father who your spouse is before you get married and you receive a confirmation of that, the need to pray and to ask God to help you learn your role as a wife or a husband. Having an independent mindset in a marriage which the fathers say don't belong in a marriage at all. Also praying about your family culture that you came up out of that's going to do what clash with the person that you with that you need to work on. He also will be talking about generational curses that's hindering the growth of your relationship. He going to be talking to you about the need to consider the other person that you with because, like I say, there's no one person in a marriage. There's two. Letting you know that when you make a decision, you affect the other person. The need to change someone, some of your ways, because we have two people now becoming one, so you can't remain the same. You have to change. There's no way. <laughs> That God, I didn't say you gonna pick a spouse. There's no way that God tells you who your spouse is and not only okays the marriage until he deal with these things that's in your heart. Amen? Amen. Last thing, the common things that people pray about. Exaltation and promotion. Everybody wanna be promoted. Everybody want God to exalt them. So you praying, once again, <laughs> you decreeing, you declaring, you affirming, you got your scriptures, you got it laid out, amen? You praying five hours a day, <laughs> Father, promote me, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I know, Lord God, you're going to do it, Lord God. I speak it right now into existence in the name of Jesus. And the Father's like, okay, I can do that. But first, let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> I ain't got no problem. I can do that. This way, he's going to be talking to you about the need to remove pride and selfishness, the need to walk in humility, the need to learn how to listen, the act of obedience, the getting knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in matters, lifting up yourself and thinking that you are more than what you are, not to be ashamed of the gospel, walking by faith and not by sight, having a teachable spirit. He's going to be talking to you about having an unforgiving heart, not having a heart that wants to serve people, not allowing the Father to order your steps. Once you start working on that, the Bible says promotion comes from the Lord. He don't have no problem promoting you. Because guess what? All of that stuff was produced in your soul before you took the position. 
You took the position, you even know that you took the position before you even took the position. Amen? And that's how things work in God. There is nothing standing in between you and what God wants you to do, but the ownership is on you because he said it's already finished. It's already done. Now, is there some immediate benefits that come with God when you step into the family of God? Yes, there is. There's security. There's safety. There's love. All of these, there's mercy. There's grace. We're talking about immediate things where you just step into God. But there's also some things he's not going to release to you till you get mature. And that's the part that we have to understand. We got all the blessings of God. We got an inheritance. But let our faith become full. Let our faith be made whole. We don't want, and I tell, I tell this to my husband, and I tell this to my children. The one thing I can't stand is something that's unfinished. I can't, I'm telling you, it bothers me to just something to just be lingering and it's just not done. It's half done. It's halfway done. I said, finish that. Like they start cleaning their room <laughs> and they never finish. <laughs> I said, no, complete the job. Because the thing about it is this, if you don't complete the job, it becomes a stronghold, a thought pattern. And every time you go to do something as an adult, you don't complete it. I'm not just getting on you about cleanliness in the room. I'm getting on you because it's gonna become a pattern in your life. So you have to finish stuff. That's a skill. Children are not born into this world knowing how to complete things, just like they're not brought in this world knowing how to communicate. That is a skill that has to be given unto them. Not, as you know, you've worked with people that are terrible communicators, terrible communicators. Some of us have been married to people we divorced that was terrible at communicating. So that should let you know that communication is not something that you were born with. Communication is something that has to be taught. Amen? And it's not just taught through just reading something, but it's taught. Children learn best when you're doing it. Not when you're saying it. When you're doing it, that's how they learn. Amen? Amen. So let us pray. Father, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this word. We thank you right now, Father, that you are with us, Lord God. We don't just want an external things, Father, to change. We want the miracle to work in us first. We need your word to work in us first. We need the word to work in us and our souls, Father. We need, Father, these strongholds, Father, and these fortresses, Father, that we have erected in our soul, Father, in the realms of our soul, Lord God, to be healed, Father. We need some of these things, Lord God, to come out of our spirit, Father, so that you can bless us. You said, as our souls prosper, Father, then we will prosper, Lord God. Father, prosper our souls, Father. Be